Hello everyone, this is Scenario 95, my name is Ian, and on this podcast, we are going to play a game. Along with my friend Daniel, we decided to create a podcast where we play a very simple game. Each week, we pitch predictions. Now the caveat is that you need to convince the other person that your scenario is exactly a 5% outlier. A Scenario 95 is what we have started calling it. Over the course of the first year's series, we hope to discuss a hundred Scenario 95s. All predictions, the smart to the stupid, will be up on our website at Scenario95.com. This show will reveal our biases and I'm sure will produce some howlers, as you will undoubtedly know more than us on some subjects. This is the game, this is Scenario 95, and I hope you stay with us. Let's begin. So, Daniel, here you are on Scenario 95. How did you feel the process was when it came to coming up with these predictions? I found it really tricky. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be honest. When you first mentioned it to me, I thought that sounded awesome. And immediately, just like a bunch of predictions came to mind. Uh, and, yeah, I just found when I started thinking more deeply into it, it's just a, a, yeah, the thing I normally do is I predict things which I think are somewhat likely, right? So it's like, I feel like it was something I used to do, and I now just have to, like, throw all of those out the window, and I felt like it was very much starting from scratch, like, learning a new skill again. Um, yeah, it was quite funny. Uh, I, I went over a lot of the early predictions with you, and I, I think we both had a spreadsheet of about 20, um, and yeah, just ruling them out for various reasons. So, yeah, I found it quite hard, but I think now that we've done it once, I think it'll be smooth sailing from here on out. Yeah, I hope that we get better at it because it was definitely a bit of effort to come up with, like, some good Scenario 95s. And also, just, it's really hard to predict unlikely things, right? And especially at that 5% level. Especially at that 5% level because you're constantly sort of saying oh is it closer to 50 50 or is this thing really just impossible like that's uh, mm. that's always tricky yeah ah, oh, definitely yeah that, that was the thing i found hardest as well because it's like i think it's easy to predict things that will never happen oh i think it's easy to do that maybe it's not <laughs> but yeah <laughs> yeah and predicting 50 50 things is also easier but yeah when it when it's five percent that's uh it's a challenge. But yeah, I think we, you know what? I think we did okay the first week, um, but I think we left lots of room for improvement. So what are your thoughts? Should we jump straight into it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear your first pitch. So for my first prediction, I think that Tesla will be the only company to have full self-driving capabilities in every well-maintained metropolitan area by 2022. Um, and just to clarify, when I say full self-driving, I mean, what's often referred to as level five self-driving or colloquially known as steering wheel optional self-driving. So I guess then to to break this down into the main components is that Tesla will be the only company to have it by 2022. And then the the second part is that um, we will actually, well, Tesla will actually have it by 2022. Um, So I'll, I'll just quickly say that I think if Tesla does achieve it by 2022, I think there is actually a pretty high chance that they will be the only one to have achieved it in every metropolitan area. But uh, I'm (laughs) 
I would be willing to say it's pretty unlikely that they will actually have it by 2022. So for the first part, I'll explain why I think it is actually reasonably likely that if one company does achieve it, it will be Tesla. And the, the main reason that I'm saying this is if you look at their competitors, so just clarify, I guess their main competitors are Waymo, which is Google owned, Cruise, which is General Motors owned, um, and then there are several others, which are all, uh, there, there are a fair few other promising ones, but th those two are kind of the, the main two as well as Tesla. So the, the main difference is Tesla is the only company which already has a lot of vehicles on the road, which are owned by customers, which have a bunch of sensors, which they're planning on rolling out all of these self-driving features on. The other companies, uh, they're planning on having an autonomous taxi fleet. So what this effectively means is that Tesla has sold cars all over the world and they, if they were to try and roll out a feature and they were to just roll it out in something like New York City or San Francisco, customers would be pretty pissed off and they would hear that almost immediately. Uh, on the other hand though, you've got Waymo and you've got Cruise and all, all these other ones. If they can absolutely nail down a single market, so let's say San Francisco, for example, and they can roll out there tomorrow, that is clearly exceptionally valuable for them. Um, and it, it, it's quite interesting because this approach is pretty apparent when you, when you look more into how a few of these companies have done it. So Cruise, I tried to do a little bit of digging and they seem a bit tight-lipped, but Waymo on the other hand, they have got um, an autonomous taxi set up in Phoenix, Arizona at the moment. But the interesting detail about this is their autonomous taxis are very, very hyper-specialized for exactly that because they had humans drive around every single road that this taxi drives around. Um, and there's no way that, that this vehicle can just go on any random road. So I, I think this makes a pretty compelling case then for why Tesla could be the only company that does it because their incentives are quite different from the competition, but this has also been corroborated by their approach and their competition's approach. And this leads us to the next part, and that's that will it be done by 2022? And this is where I, this is where I, I think the probability really, really drops down lower. And yeah, the, the main reason I say this is it's just one of these things which is very, very hard to evaluate, and it, it's become very clear that all of the predictions for how long it'll take have, have just been pretty terrible. So I believe it was back in about 2016, uh, Elon Musk said it will be done by 2018. And in 2018, he said it'll be done in December 2018. And then 2019, it was December 2019. And it's like, it, it seems to have constantly been six months away. Um, and clearly it, it wasn't because it still isn't here now. Um, but with that being said, they have made huge strides. And uh, literally, I, I believe it's, it's basically every month or at least several times a year, Tesla owners do actually get enhanced self-driving um, technology. And like that, that is, is genuinely always coming in. And based off a few of the things that Elon Musk has said, he can basically drive 
uh, a Tesla from his home to the office um, as of, I believe it was about six months ago, um, with construction sites and with giveaway signs and stop signs and everything. And it, it does just drive autonomously. To, to clarify though, he is on the, the bleeding edge like test version. So that's the, the alpha version of the software that's not available for everyone else yet because there is still a reasonably high chance it has bugs and hasn't gone through the, the same rigorous testing that self-driving software should be going through. So uh, just quickly to summarize, I believe it could happen by 2022. I believe it is unlikely though. I think it is far more likely it'll be closer to 2025 or some, some later date. Um, but I think in the instance that Tesla has achieved it, I believe that there is actually a very, very high chance that they will be the only company to achieve it um, throughout every well-maintained metropolitan area. So now that that's out of the way, Ian, interested to hear what you think about this. Okay, Daniel, so this Tesla prediction, here's what I reckon. It's not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, here's why it's not going to happen. Because one, I think you're the only person foolish enough to actually believe in the promises of Elon Musk. You're actually not the only person. A lot of people believe in him. <laughs> you're foolish. You're foolish is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. How do you wait. respond to that? Well, isn't it the classic, um, everyone always says that about Elon, but then he actually does end up delivering, just admittedly, on a way, way later timeline. Okay. And then the second thing, and I think the second thing is really the nail in the coffin, the mm. idea that um, regulatory proceedings can actually allow this to happen within that time frame, I think is absurd. I think as soon as you get close to this point, there's going to be a lot of toing and froing about the safety aspects, the moral aspects. There's going to be a big study done by Congress or some government somewhere, mm. which is going to slow the whole process down. So again, isn't... timeline way off. Yeah, but but like, isn't the the way that they're probably going to get around that is that um, it will be like advertised in a sense as assisted driving so your hands will still need to be on the steering wheel and in theory you'll still need to be paying attention um so it won't be allowed but like you'll still be able to do it i guess you'll be able to get a fine for it like you can't be on your phone while you're doing it but like i that that won't stop them from rolling out those features <laughs> No, mate, I'm sticking to this. this I believe in that. <laughs> so what you're saying is they'll roll out something as something else. Wait, no, they'll roll it out and they'll say it's full self-driving, but with the caveat that you have to have your hands on the steering wheel. Like, I think okay. that's that's fine. Like, So we're not going to see people on their phones in the traffic. We're going to be seeing people pretending like they're driving. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, like, in my response to that, we already see people on their phones driving, so... <laughs> That's like, true. Yeah, I, I, I think we'll have the capability of doing it, and I think um, basically every Tesla on the road will have that capability. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't really have a lot more to say. I think it's just very unlikely that that would 
come into fruition. It seems like sort of the stars would have to align from a regulatory perspective, also from a sort of like Tesla just have to get away with it, you know, like so even if the technology works out, mm. just their ability to get away with it, I think it's just uh, uh, that's really the unlikely thing for me. Wait, get get away with it from a regulatory perspective, or what do you mean? Uh, yes, from a regulatory perspective. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so fair. It's, it's the tech and the regulation, and if the tech is not there, a hundred percent, the regulation is definitely not there, right? So, mm. regulation always seems to move behind technology. And I suspect it's going to slow down this process as well. That's what I'd say. Yeah. So w- one thing I'm kind of interested in is, do you think if they actually, if if this does turn out to be true, do you think they will actually be able to make a lot of money off it, or or who, which company do you think would do a better job of profiting off it? Oh, good question. Out of all the companies. I don't really know who would profit the most from it. You could imagine, um, like, driverless taxis just sounds pretty darn profitable. Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. I just want them to exist. I just want cheaper taxis. Exactly. Yeah, even Uber, as soon as those prices got brought down like that, I was using Uber way more so. Yeah. Yeah, I I sort of looked towards that. But but you were also not a poor uni student anymore. That that probably made a pretty big difference. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah. Uh, otherwise, I actually think the personal car. Um, I don't think they'll. Ch- uh, what am I trying to say? Hold up. Will Tesla and General Motors uh, profit if they get these automated cars up and running? I don't think they'll profit as much because I think for the personalized car, will people really uh, be willing to pay that much more to not drive their car? This is like an endless debate between you and I, but I feel like (laughs) the prices will get pushed close to marginal cost, right? Because of the Mm. competition between the two. So I think like it's a piece of software um, that will also have been developed by some others probably afterwards. Maybe initially it'll be ludicrously profitable, but then the costs will just bring it down so that everyone has free uh, uh, driverless cars of software, um, like Google Maps, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if that does happen because I could totally see a future in which um, it's really similar to the mobile phone market in the sense that Apple has got their own closed-off ecosystem, and in this case, that would be Tesla. And then I wonder if there's going to just be some open-source software um, or open-source in the same way that Android is, which then basically takes the rest of the market. And, like, it, it obviously makes a lot of sense for there to be another dynamic like that. But, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I could definitely foresee it. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Again, 5% chance means that this is unlikely, but uh, could happen. It'd be cool if it did. Yeah, those are all some good points. Uh, but yeah, now it's your turn. I want to hear your scenario 95. Okay, so my first scenario 95 is that the new James Bond movie will receive one or more Oscar awards. I think this is very unlikely, and that is why I'm making it. My first prediction. So let's do a recap. What's going on? 
A new James Bond movie is going to be released November 11th, and the next Oscars are going to be held in April next year. There are 24 Academy Awards, and the James Bond movie would qualify for about 17 of them. This is once you subtract away things like documentary awards, animated film, etc. So, historically, the James Bond films have done pretty poorly at the Academy Awards. They have won five awards over 26 films. So they won two for sound editing. Goldfinger and Skyfall won those. Two for original song. This was Spectre and Skyfall, so the two most recent movies. And they also won a visual effects award for Thunderball. That means that four films out of 26 won Academy Awards. And I suspect this film here won't win any as well. So... There are a number of compounding factors, I think, which will make it unlikely to win. So if we just go on a historical basis, four films out of 26, that means that there's about a 15% chance that if you picked a random James Bond film, that it won an Academy Award. Now, I think this next one is going to have a lower than those sort of odds. And there are a number of compounding factors. I don't think this next James Bond movie will win visual effects. Why do I say that? Because Tenet has already been released. June is scheduled to be released. Tenet already was pretty remarkable in its visual effects with all this going backwards through time aspects. It was really enjoyable just for that part, even if you don't understand the plot. A few explosions from the James Bond film, I don't think are really going to rectify this. The second compounding factor is I don't think James Bond will win best original song. Granted, I haven't heard any of the competition, but I have heard the Billie Eilish song, and while it is good, I think it will maybe sit a little bit in the shadow of Adele's absolute banger, and that will be problematic. Why do I think it's problematic? Well, I think original song is probably James Bond's most likely award. So they're going to really struggle if they can't get it, and I think they might not be able to get it, primarily because the Skyfall version was so good. My third factor is I suspect the James Bond movie will not win any acting awards. I don't think they'll win any acting awards. I suspect they won't win any awards for director. I think they're too hampered by what is sort of a format which will make it sort of unoriginal, uninspiring. And I think we're all maybe a little bit over Daniel Craig being the James Bond. Although I personally really liked Skyfall and Casino Royale. I thought they were great movies. They seem to be really hit and miss, right? So Quantum of Solace and Spectre were both relatively dreadful, I thought. Now, while there is some hope that this movie could be a runaway success. Uh, For instance, Kari Fukunaga, who directed the first season of True Detective, which I thought was a great TV show, he is the director here. I suspect because of the formatting, he won't really be able to get a lot of new things out of the characters. Consequently, because of this, I have low expectations for this James Bond movie, but of course, I hope I'm proven wrong. Daniel, what do you think? Interesting. So 
Yeah, the, those are some good points, but I gotta admit, I, I definitely don't think this is 5%. I would put this actually, like, north of about 50%. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think my main reason for that is you mentioned that the last two movies both won Oscars for original soundtrack. So I, I feel like you should be kind of adjusting based on that, or, like, I guess one grouping which... Admittedly, I heard from a friend's dad when I was 10 and I've just thought of James Bond movies in this way ever since where it's you just group them by the the actor who's playing James Bond and using that metric then it would be closer to 50%. So yeah, I'd, I'd put it there. Hold up. Your friend's dad told you about a way to group James Bond films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how else do you figure out how to group James Bond movies? <laughs> Wow, he really distilled some words of wisdom there to a young, to a young Daniel. I was impressionable. I was young. I don't. I don't know what you want from me, man. This is. I think it can go both ways to answer your question. I think Skyfall and the Spectre song was maybe worse than the Skyfall song, just because the Skyfall song was so good, but it was a male voice mm. instead. So I really think there's a shadow component here. How, having said that, yeah, are there going to be any more amazing songs for different movies? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, th- that is a good point. Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure about the soundtracks for the other movies, but um, yeah, I noticed you mentioned that it'll be compared to the Skyfall song, but isn't that kind of like the the shtick of the James Bond songs? They've always got that same like those yeah the same sort of sound. Like they they do follow a pretty similar theme, and it's like. Clearly, they don't care that much if it won the last two movies and it's won, like, four times before for them all sounding fairly similar. So, I I don't know. I, I could see that. But also, Billie Eilish has won five Grammys this year. So, she is clearly just an A-grade singer. So And I also listened to the song and I thought it was a banger. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 oh my god okay I need to get composed again it's just such a classic like um such a classic now I love Billy but you know it's like we both want to be like positive podcasters I'm a big fan of yeah. Billy Irish, but I don't think it will happen now um <laughs> yeah um what do I think I think that it's really down to just that uh, particular award, right? There's really no other awards. Maybe yeah. some sound effects, uh, visual effects. I think you agree with my statement, right? Because Tenet has been released. Oh, Tenet 100%. was pretty amazing. That's just not going to happen. So, yeah. Um, it's really. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The, the only award they can win is the, the original soundtrack one. Yeah. So, uh, I guess fingers crossed for, uh, yeah, the girl, yeah. Billy. <laughs> yeah, our fella. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I like about both of our predictions so far is I want both of them to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like positive outliers. These aren't like uh, meteors hitting the earth and you know causing <laughs> another mass extinction. Yeah, that's um, that's next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So one of the other things I'm, uh, yeah, I'm wondering about 
is is this actually going to be available for the next next Oscars? And then will there be different competitors? Because there is the classic thing where I believe, like, obviously a lot of cinemas aren't open, so I, I uh, movies just haven't been grossing as much. And I believe Tenet was one of... It was kind of the canary in the coal mine, right? They wanted to see if that would actually do fairly well. And I believe it did definitely did not exceed expectations. So I, I don't know. I think there's a chance it won't come out this year. Um, and then we don't know who it'll be up against, but I guess we didn't know that anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't specify which year I think it would win the Academy Award. Although in the pitch, I did just mention the fact that, uh, the next one is in April. I guess if they get delayed, it would be maybe, uh, they'd be competing in the next year. Uh, having said that though, yeah, Corona makes it unlikely, right? That they, um, or more unlikely that they would maybe get an Academy Award because maybe they'll get delayed and pushed into a really clustered year where there's lots of films, so. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing to note. Do we think it'll be more films or less films next year? Because obviously there are all the films that were meant to be released this year, but production's obviously been slowed down. And I think a lot of the the studios seem to have just, like, they, they've done a lot of shuffling around, but in general, movies have been pushed back. Mm. Um, the one I'm most excited about is The Matrix is now coming out next year. So we get to see Neo back in his prime. Oh, yes. That's perfect. That's what we all want to see. All right, Daniel. So, yeah, you took the high side on my James Bond one. You think that it's much more likely to happen, around 15%. Now I'm going to be critical of your next one. So what is it? So for my next prediction... I think that Amazon will announce an Amazon-produced sports event before 2022. And to delve a little bit more into what that means, when I say an Amazon-produced sports event, I mean it in the same sense that Netflix has produced shows. So a good example would be Enola Holmes, right? So what they've done is they have complete rights to distribute that however they want. So I believe Amazon will be in the same situation with a sports event. And a sports event, this could be a league. This could also be a one-off thing. But yeah, a a sports event. So my my main argument for this one is uh, I don't think it's hard to say it's unlikely, right? (laughs) Uh, No company as far, no streaming company as far as I could find has ever created a sporting event will produce one themselves, with the one exception of eSports, which I'm not going to include in this because otherwise Amazon has literally already done it. So I guess then the other thing is just making a case for why they will actually do it because, yeah, it it does seem unlikely. And I, I think the main arguments for why it actually maybe isn't as insane as it first sounds is it seems like the traditional streaming wars are largely being fought by creating exclusive content and then making sure you're the only network where you can watch whatever that is, like Enola Holmes or Stranger Things or The Boys. Second point is I I think they're they're really showing signs. They're actually capable of doing this. And I think lastly, there's actually a solid business case for it. So I guess the first point's pretty self-explanatory. It seems like a natural way that all streaming wars are probably going to converge. Like, it seems quite likely that exclusive content will bring in people and that will 
that will probably bring in a lot of the, the revenue or like will be one of the main things. Um, so I guess the, the second thing is then that they're showing signs that they're actually very capable of doing this. So like I just said earlier, they've actually already started an esports league. Um, and it's like that is showing desire for them to actually produce things. It shows that they've seen the value in it, but it also shows that like they've got the expertise. So they, they are capable of doing it. Um, the slight caveat with that one is they did acquire Twitch. So it's not like they have recently acquired a large sports streaming network or anything like that. So that was extremely relevant to their business, whereas this one is less so. Uh, the other thing is Amazon has actually aggressively been expanding its portfolio of live sports. In the past couple of years, Amazon has spent a few hundred million dollars on securing sports rights, quite notably um, exclusive rights to the English Premier League um, that they paid $120 million for, and that was for 20 matches just in the UK. And Amazon also paid $130 million for exclusive digital rights to a package of the 11 Thursday night football games for the NFL and that's global. So that's, that's been pretty huge. Uh, and the, the other thing is in terms of the expertise, Amazon has also shown that because they've actually bought a stake in a regional sports network. So if you were to look at the, like that, that's a quite a clear sign that they are quite interested in that, right? I don't think they would be buying a stake in a regional sports network unless it actually built towards their, their main business proposition. Uh, like they're, they're not doing it just because it's a good investment. And to begin with, a regional sports network is probably just not a good investment, right? That, that seems like they're trying to hire in some expertise. So I'd say that's a, that's a pretty clear sign that they actually might be, be doing it. So I, I think that shows quite well that they're capable of doing this. Um, and I, I also think there's a fairly solid business case for it. So it's quite interesting. If you look at sports rights, um, there, there's kind of two interesting things here. So first of all, they actually just have been going up pretty consistently. So since 2008, I believe, in Australia, it's been to about 20% every single year, uh, which leads me to my second point, that I believe it's one of these insane things where uh, it seems like in this day and age, there are a lot of companies where it's quite close to like winner takes all. Or like the brand, like I, I think branding effects are maybe being quantified in a better way. So a lot of companies would be willing to do something which doesn't make financial sense if it bolsters their brand a fair bit. And I think sports is probably one of the most classic examples of this. Like just for some anecdotal data, uh, this year the U.S. Open, I, I woke up at like six a.m. to watch the grand final. And I remember asking my flatmate what channel it was on, and he said SBS. And for those who don't know, SBS is like a government-run channel, channel in Australia. And honestly, I don't think I've ever wanted to watch anything on SBS. So it was quite a shock to me. But in my mind, the value of SBS is just so much higher now, now that I've watched a single sporting event on it. But yeah, I, I, I think this, this genuinely carries through for a lot of things. So another example was apparently pre... Um, pre-2008 ESPN was was kind of seen as like a bit of a I guess like sort of a second grade sports channel because their approach was very much they go for quantity over quality and if you looked at their programming I believe they had four or five channels 
and they were just streaming a lot of sports that only real enthusiasts would watch, but um, no no grand champ like grand final was ever won on ESPN, right? They had a lot of sporting events, but nothing that incredible. Um, and in 2008, they kind of shocked the world by bidding on. The actual contract that was being bid on was a deal for exclusive rights for the entire college football playoff system. So this is extremely valuable for those people not in the US. It turns out that people in the US just absolutely love college sports and they, they just go crazy for it. Like the rights for these just seem insane to me. But they, they did a very audacious bid where it was a full $100 million higher than the second highest bidder, Fox, who had had it for the previous several years. So it's kind of interesting. So what that shows to me is that, um, I, and, and to clarify, a lot of escalation of sports rights, um, a lot of the industry kind of ties it back to this moment. So in, in my head, this has happened before where there has been a single event which has drastically increased the cost of these rights. There's probably actually a pretty high chance that this sort of thing will happen again, especially given that no company has actually, well, like, like what are the big sports streaming companies? ESPN. Um, and then in Australia, we've got this one called KO, but I think that's like a part of our major sports network, Fox Sports. It's like, you know, I, I don't know if I'd give that too much weight for them producing their own stuff. So I, I think there is space for another player and it makes sense for it to be Amazon and it makes sense for them to get involved in one of these bidding processes. But here's the interesting thing. If they get involved in this bidding process, all of a sudden, if the cost of these sports rights continue to climb, there, there very clearly becomes a point where it's going to be cheaper to simply create your own stuff, even though that will be expensive and even though that will be a long-term investment. Um, and may not pay off for many years. But I, I think the interesting thing is Amazon has clearly shown that they're capable of doing that, and they actually really want to do that. So I, 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 think, uh, I think there's a pretty solid business case for it. But, but yeah, um, so just in quick recap, um, it's a natural spot for where the streaming wars are going to head. Um, they've shown a lot of signs that say that they're actually capable of doing this. And uh, there's a good chance that there's quite a solid business case for it, even though I haven't run the specific numbers. So, uh, Magna, what do you think? So, Amazon will produce their own sports by the end of 2022. You know, Daniel, I have no idea how to attack this. <laughs> 5% sounds about right. They... It's, it's one of these things where it could sort of happen pretty easily. All they really need to do is negotiate some sort of production licensing agreement with someone. Alternatively, they could just set up something on their own. Like, they have shown some, I guess, capability of producing their own shows with, like, um, you know, the Top Gear replacement. That was pretty full yeah. on production. The boys so, as well. Can't forget the boys. Yeah. So... Um, they maybe they definitely have the capabilities. It's really, do they have the desire? And the really boring answer is, I'm not really sure what's happening with sport now with Corona, right? Yeah. Everyone's being tested all the time, but at the same time, when is normality going to resume? It could be a really good time to actually start a new sport. 
uh, like a virtual reality sport or something like that. That could be really feasible. To some extent, that's what Amazon already are doing, maybe, with, like, Twitch. <laughs> but um, that's maybe beside the point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think on the point of um, is now a good time for sport, I, I heard some pretty crazy thing. I admittedly don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but apparently sports viewership... <laughs> I know, this is terrible. It's like, I have the time to pause the recording and look, but, you know, this is, this is a statement. I'm no, just gonna... keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, sports viewing numbers has actually decreased this year, which is quite counterintuitive because you'd expect with people, you know, having more time with their hands, they would spend more time watching sport. Um, but, yeah, I think one of the theories is that people will often watch sport so that they can talk to co-workers and, you know, just, like, have an easy thing to talk about with people. Um, and now people just aren't seeing as many other people. Well, like, not as many people they yeah. have to create small talk with, which is pretty awesome, yeah. I think. <laughs> That's probably good. You know, the trouble with Arsenal is they're always trying to pass the ball into the net. <laughs> IT crowd reference? <laughs> IT crowd reference? Oh... God. No. Oh my god. You never heard that. It's an IT crowd reference. Oh, oh. right. I um, I don't follow soccer. So. Yeah, but oh, okay. Oh my gosh. You, that's so meta then. Uh, the thing is, it's also about a guy who doesn't follow soccer, and he always says the problem with Arsenal is they're always trying to pass it into the net. But now I'm explaining the joke. I've dissected the frog. This is not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> classic but anyway Amazon it's going to be great <laughs> yeah well you know 5% sounds about right I think it's unlikely just given the current situation um, and also just uh, is it really their primary focus for like a large organisation like that it, it would it would presumably be a substantial investment even for like amazon right we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars so it's not something that would be done lightly so that's why i think it's unlikely so five percent sounds about right ian i'm keen to hear your next one hit me with your next scenario 95 so my second scenario 95 is that a new social media platform launched sometime this year will attain half a billion users by the end of 2021. So, so what is a social media website? I think we're all pretty familiar with them. Sort of definition would be that a social media website or a social media platform is any website where people can share and participate in content. So this can range from things like YouTube to Facebook, anywhere where people are providing content and then other people can interact with it. Now, as of July 2020, there are 10 social media websites with over 500 million users, and all of them except TikTok were internationally launched before 2018. Now, what's remarkable is TikTok, really. So TikTok had its international launch in 2018. Before that, it had about 50 million users, and in the space of very little time, it now has attained 800 million users. So it's had this absolutely rapid growth and because it's had such rapid growth and because of how social media websites work in that each one, each new social media website appears to have unprecedented growth. So they always seem to be growing faster than the last one. 
And because of this, I think that the next social media website will spawn very quickly and become a dominant player in the market in even faster time. Add to that the forecast that sometime this year, there are going to be 5 billion people connected to the internet. We see that the actual ability to capture 500 million people is really possible. Now, to do some course math on this, I looked up how many social media startups are getting VC funding, and I got some figures from 2018, which says that it's about 100 social media startups are forming each year and getting seed funding. So, if there are 100 startups forming each year, and let's assume that there are 100 startups getting seed funding this year as well, then the probability of any one of them succeeding needs to be really low for my 5%. What do I mean? I mean that if these firms have a 1 in 20th of a percent chance of getting to 500 million users, then we can backwards calculate out the probability, assuming some independence, and that would mean that about a 5% likelihood. So what we're saying is that there are going to be lots of social media startups all with a small likelihood of actually attaining half a billion users, and this will cumulatively total about 5%. So again, we're still saying that it is unlikely, but it's at this 5% level. Now, why do I think this is going to happen? This is my big punt of the two predictions I've made. I think this is going to happen primarily because we're a captive audience right now during corona. I think it's an easier time for things maybe to go viral. We're increasingly reliant on video and video conferencing, so there are undoubtedly going to be some innovations there. I think this could be a much more social thing. So yeah, this is my wild punt. I believe that a new social media app has about a 5% chance of getting half a billion users by the end of 2021. I'll see you on the platform. Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, so I got to admit, I think uh, it's definitely an interesting thought, but yeah, I'd put 5% as quite high for this. And the main reason for that is I'm not as skeptical that at some point there will be a social media website that can acquire users that quickly. I think what I'm more skeptical about is will the experience, will actually be able to craft an incredible experience in that time. So the main, well, like the, the company you talked about a little bit was TikTok, but that initially started, I think it was called Du Yin in 2014. Um, and it was only its international release that was in 2018. So like, realistically, that company has been around for like six years. So I, I don't know. It's like, if you were to do from actual launch and like, I, I guess you'd have to define launch as um, what, yeah, actually, yeah. How would you define launch? I guess when it launches to the international market, so when it's downloadable around the world. Right. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to double check is, can it be started by an existing company? It's like if Facebook was to create a new one, would you include that? Yes, I would. So if Facebook started a new video conferencing service that competed with the others and it took off because it was more social and uh, funnier and maybe had some VR component as well to it, hell yeah, that would be a social media what, app. <laughs> what, if, what if Google tried to launch a new video conferencing software for about the fifth time this year? Would that count? <laughs> hell yeah, it would count.
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess with all those clarifications, like it is somewhat possible. Would you? Yeah. Do you think it will be an independent company, or do you think it will be started by one of the the well-known players? I think it could be a mixture of both. I think there needs to be some easy onboarding, right? Because it is a lot of users. So um, having some big player assisting in that growth would obviously be massive. Um, but again, it's really also quite a... The growth of it is really a function of how it works, right? Like TikTok, it has an algorithm. It's incredibly addictive, Um that's what gets people hooked. What's going to hook people on this next one? I don't know, to be honest. Uh, so that's why I think it's pretty unlikely mm. still. Um, yeah. It always, like, just to go back, like, it always seemed like we were going to get more and more into video and that there was going to be some social media app coming from video, right? If you go, like, Facebook was text, Instagram and Snapchat were sort of photos that turned into video, and then now we're doing video with the algorithms. Like, what's the next iteration on that? I'm not really sure, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it's kind of an interesting one, because I was trying to, like, think about what is better than video. Like, one of the things I then came up with is potentially augmented reality, but then you just hit the immediate thing where it's like, there, there aren't going to be, what is it, 500 million people that have augmented reality in the next two years. So it's like, can't be that. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Have you got any thoughts as to what, like what, what the basis of the website could be? Um, not really better messaging service, a better messaging service with video could potentially be a thing. And, um, yeah, but, uh, I think also, video runs into a, lo- a number of problems for instance uh it's sort of uncomfortable to film yourself so yeah. <laughs> just like it's uncomfortable to record a podcast on your own <laughs> <laughs> yeah also i don't think the audience would necessarily know that you've done it on your own until now until you just admit that you uh yeah We've sold ourselves out. This is it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, do you have any final remarks? Uh, Yeah, I think I still would deem this one as unlikely. But, yeah, I guess if I do see it happening, it'll be one of these, like, things which I consider a little bit shady, you know, where it's like they're they've been just limited to one country or to like one region for a really long time and then they'll do the late release. But actually, even in that case, we probably would have heard of it. So, you know what? I'm going to deem it as less than 5%, but I hope it's true. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we need more social media websites, don't we? (laughs) That's what I'm missing in my life. Okay, Daniel, so we made four predictions over the course of this episode. I had my James Bond one. You had your Tesla driverless cars pitch. Then we had the Amazon pitch as well from you. And lastly, my pitch of the social media company. Now, four pitches. Do we reckon they all have about a 5% chance? We had a little bit of disagreement about them. How do you feel it went? Yeah, um, 
Oh, it was kind of funny with a few of them because it's uh, I I think in particular with the Amazon one, I think after listening to my pitch again, I think I'm now actually, I think it may be higher than five percent. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I I think it went okay. I think I'm looking for. I think I'll definitely get better. We'll we'll both get better over time with this. But yeah, I don't know. I I think out of the twenty or so I came up with, I think I'm pretty glad I picked these two. How about you? How do you think it went? Yeah, it's it's a hard thing, and I think it's sometimes nice to have numbers to work with. So I found with the James Bond one, what was really nice is there was this like historical data I could go back and look at, whereas trying to do a more futuristic one, like predicting a large social media company, that is, uh, there's no data. It seems unprecedented. How can you really come to some conclusion about that? I um without going very in detail yeah yeah <laughs> well I, I i guess that's the approach i took with mine i just tried to go quite in detail <laughs> yeah i i think in mind the five percent is very much a hunch <laughs> i think they're all hunches to be honest i think it's a hunch built on top of a hunch right yeah like... yeah that's true well yeah it's the classic <laughs> thing where it's just a hell of a lot easier to predict things which are like likely to happen yeah I, it's like I have a hunch and then I have a hunch that it's only a 5% chance that it will happen. Yeah, yeah. If, if these 10 things add up, it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, good first episode. Let's see what happens with these predictions. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope, hope none of them come true. That's probably best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sweet. Well, start. I'll see you next week with uh, with some new predictions. I'm keen.